So it's Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. There's a 16th century Italian painter, a guy called Paolo Veronese. Here he is there. And he's an interesting painter, or was an interesting painter. He painted some famous paintings, but the one that I want to bring uh, to your attention this morning is a painting that you would first, when you look at it, would think was The Last Supper. It looks a little bit like The Last Supper. However, it's a painting with a difference. It was quite a controversial painting in the 16th century. It's a massive space. There's a huge table. There's three archways that need filled with people. And Paolo Veronese uh, painted this picture with loads of different people from different walks of life, all gathered around Jesus. With Jesus at the center, sharing food, conversation, having fellowship, conversations with people around the table. There's people from different countries gathered at the table. In the far left, there's people with turbans on in the corner. There's even people that have brought their dogs at the table. There's a dog sat at the foot of the table right in front of Jesus. Now, at the time, the religious people really didn't like this painting. There were some people that were really passionate about this painting. And they said, you've actually got to repaint this picture. This, this isn't great. 
And they'd said to Paolo, they said, you need to repaint it and you need to remove all them people. Take all them people away from the table and just paint in the disciples. That's who need to be around the table. Paolo Veronese said, you've totally missed the point. You've completely missed the point. Because everybody's welcome at the table. Everybody's welcome at the foot of the table. Everybody's welcome to gather around Jesus, to share bread, to have conversation with Jesus. There's no way I'm going to repaint this painting and remove them people from the table. So he refused to paint it. Tribunal was kind of held and people got together and they were getting quite uh, passionate about this cause. And, And despite badgering him and pushing him and pressing him to repaint it, he never repainted it. He simply renamed the painting. The painting is called The Feast in the House of Levi, not The Last Supper. When I look at this painting, when I think about this painting, I think about our Saturday meal. Yesterday, we gathered here together, and there was people from all walks of life uh, here just gathered, eating together, sharing food together, sharing conversation together, here in God's house, centered around Jesus, with people loving and caring and praying and being compassionate like Jesus over food and conversation. Yesterday, it was probably the fullest that I, I know of. There was 127 guests here yesterday. It was freezing last night. We had to turn people away at the gate with, with uh, takeaway meals because we, we were just at capacity. People on the margins of society from all walks of life, people bring in their dogs and we feed their dogs. People gathered around the table, gathered around Jesus. Please pray for us as we think about the Saturday meal that we do. As a team, core team, we're going to go away and just dream and plan and pray and look what might the next few years look like as this ministry grows arms and legs, as we develop it, as we work out how can we take people from A to B and get them the next step on their journey. How can we help and support these people better? Please join us in praying for that. You'll see in the uh, stretch 25, there's some things that we'd love to do, love to achieve. Please be praying for these things. When we look at the text that we've just had read out, we see again an image of a feast, image of a meal. This time Jesus is the guest. It's somebody else's house. It's somebody else's food. Jesus has been invited into it. And if we look at the text, the text actually says that Jesus was reclining in, uh, on, on his seat or at the table. Now, traditionally in that culture, that didn't mean that Jesus was kind of sat up bolt right. He was kind of like feet under the table and kind of arms in front of you, knife and a fork really sort of rigid. In that culture, when they had that sort of food, Jesus would have been reclining to the point where his feet would have been out, he would have been lying back, his head would have been supported on a bent elbow. He was basically chillaxing. He was there for the night. Jesus was settled in. He was very much relaxed. And in that culture, in that setting, the houses were set up in such a way that there would be an open house, an open courtyard at the front. And it wasn't uncommon for strangers to walk past and walk into that sort of open area where they could catch a glimpse of maybe the rabbi. They could catch a glimpse of the people who were hosting this meal. They could also hear some or part of the conversation that was going on. But they weren't allowed to step into the sort of center part where the table was. 
And if we look at our text, we read that the lady, this woman in our story, she walks in, not just into the open section, which people were allowed in, the sort of open part, but she walks right into the very heart. She probably, potentially, would have had to step over people because of the position that they would have taken when they were eating. She would have had to step over them to actually get to Jesus. She was trampling over cultural boundaries and hurdles that she shouldn't have been doing. She's getting to the heart of Jesus. She wants to be by Jesus. And she's saying, I know that I know that my life's messed up. I know what's going on, but I just need to get to Jesus. I know this is awkward. I know this is difficult. I know I shouldn't be here. I know that actually my reputation means that you don't want to be anywhere or anywhere around me, but I've got to get to Jesus. I've got to, I've got to get to him. And she comes to Jesus and she's at the feet of Jesus. It's our heart as a church, peace and Jesus, that we want to get people to the feet of Jesus. That we know that he changes lives, we know that he transforms people, we know that he forgives people, we know that he heals people, we know that he redeems people. We've just got to get them to the feet of Jesus. And that might mean stepping over a couple of awkward conversations. It might mean crossing a couple of cultural boundaries. It might mean kind of putting our pride aside sometimes or, or our self-preservation to one side. It might mean actually becoming vulnerable. It might mean being a bit sort of brave in what we do. But we want to get people to the feet of Jesus because we know he changes everything. Jesus is the one who changes and transforms everything. The lady knew that. If we got our text up, we can see that in our text that the lady comes and she brings the perfume before Jesus. And now you need to know that with this perfume, it's not like the little olibus oil sort of little drops thing. It's not the thing that costs two or three pound that the lady comes and just kind of like dabs a couple of drops on Jesus' feet. But the text talks about her bringing this ointment to him. And if you read around the text, if you look at commentaries and you do a bit of digging, you can actually see that this was really expensive perfume it was expensive ointment it was costly like for her to bring this and to pour this out and she poured the whole thing she just anointing his feet over Jesus they worked it out that it would have been the equivalent to 300 days of labor it's basically a year's salary so in your head work out what's my year's salary what is my annual salary for her it was basically like pouring a whole year's salary over on Jesus's feet she knows how valuable Jesus is. She knows who he is. She knows how special Jesus is. And this sign, this symbol, this act of worship, of just pouring this out on him, was such a costly thing. Not just because of the culture that she was in and because she was in that person's house and she was doing all that thing, but it cost her financially. That was costly for her to do that. Yet despite this, and despite the people in the room and in the house, knowing that this lady has trampled over the cultural boundaries and all the, the sort of no-nos that you shouldn't do, she's kind of gone there. Despite her bravery, despite the fact that she was vulnerable in public, like not just in church, like she hasn't come into the synagogue, she hasn't come into the temple, and she hasn't said, hey, will you pray for me? And, and, and she's, she hasn't been stroked, and, and you know, I will say a little prayer for you. Like she's not around people who believe in her. She's not around family. She's not around best friends or people from her connect group or, or whatever. She's around people who don't believe in her. They don't want to touch her. They don't want to even be seen with her. It says in the text that she was a sinner. And again, if you read around the text and you read um, about that sort of culture, it was likely that this lady was caught up in prostitution. 
how she dressed, how she wore her hair, the reputation that she had in that time. She was a, a sinner in the city, known in the city, known for her sin. Yet, despite all that, the people in the house treated her like the people in our painting at the beginning of the talk. They didn't like her. She shouldn't be there. She shouldn't be around the feet of Jesus. She's not welcome in here. Remove her, paint her out. She shouldn't be in this picture. But actually, that's exactly where she should be. Jesus has come for those who are sick. Jesus has come for those who need a savior. Jesus has come for people who are broken, who need forgiveness, who need to be restored, who need to be transformed. It's exactly where she needs to be. I love the bravery of that woman, that she would do that. She would go and place herself at the feet of Jesus, putting herself in the presence of Jesus so that she can be transformed. She's basically putting her feet, pointing them towards Jesus and saying, here I am. I know I mess up. I know that you know what I do. I need to be transformed. I need to be changed. There's stuff in my life that isn't working. I need you to help me. I need you to transform me. If we look at verse uh, 45 in our text, and we, we look at the passage here, we see that actually Jesus begins to contrast her behavior to the people who were hosting him. Jesus is saying, hey, you didn't do that, and this is your house. Did you see what she did? You guys didn't do that. Did you see how she acted? You guys didn't do that. He begins to tell them a story as well and to, to draw out from the story what this lady is doing. She's a great sinner needing great forgiveness. She's somebody who really needs to receive that forgiveness and needs her life to be transformed. He's contrasting her behavior to the people that are hosting Jesus at the time. No, the change began for the lady when she begins to pour out praise. She surrenders. She accepts his advice, uh, gives financially, hungers for Jesus. A change began in her. She came with a whole lot of stuff in her heart, and she leaves completely different, accepted, forgiven. We believe that Jesus wants to do that for our friends, our work colleagues. He wants to do that for us. We believe that he's doing that as well in our world. He's doing it. It takes a bit of time, and sometimes there's a wrestle. Sometimes it's awkward. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's kind of like now and not yet. We live in this tension of, oh, God, we see it in part, but not quite. I think about um, when a caterpillar goes into a chrysalis. You think about that sort of journey of them going into it, and I think they're in there for some time. Now, if you were to see a caterpillar in a chrysalis and you to look on, you'd be tempted to rip it out and say, oh my gosh, look at you, you're struggling. That looks really painful. Let me just get you out of there. But if we did, we know that the wings wouldn't have developed. The wings wouldn't be strong enough. And that caterpillar would never fly, never fly as a butterfly because it needs that tension, that journey, that wrestle, that transformation has to happen inside there. Caterpillars, butterflies, they're creatures of transformation. God's doing that in our world. The world groans as, as Jesus, as God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, slowly transforms it, slowly makes it and redeems it like it should always be, caught up in that tension. And that's happening in our lives as well too. The Apostle Paul says this, 
The Apostle Paul says that we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. It's happening in us, and it's happening in the world as well. We believe it. We want to partner with it. We want to say, yes, Lord, we want to see more of that. And if you look in the, the packs here, we talk about some of the ways that God is bringing about transformation that we want to kind of get behind, partner with, and want to explore. The, the, the text that we've been using that kind of really sums it up for Transform Society is this. It says, we want to see our society, our city, our nation, and our world changed as we show people the practical love and care of Jesus. One of the ways that he's doing this, we feel such a, a real passion that God so loves the cosmos. He so loves his creation, including us. He so loves the world that he's created and he's slowly transforming it. He's slowly renewing it. But we want to get behind that. And we're just even this morning, Simeon, who's our intern here, they've just met as a group of people to think and pray and work out how do we care for creation? What does it look like to join in as God transforms and makes all things new? And they met this morning to dream, to pray together, to work out what it looks like. And it might look like getting our house in order first. It might say, okay, well, what do we do with what we've been given are we being good stewards of this building? Are we using the right whatever? Are we, are we being really kind and, and helpful and wise with our decisions with this building? Maybe it's about getting our house in order first so that we have, that in, um, we have integrity and we're able to say, well, look, this is what we've done. This is what we ask others to do as well. It's really inspiring. P please pray for us as that begins to develop and uh, unfold. It might look like partnering with Jesus as, uh, as he transforms and makes all things new. In looking at this sort of new venue, this, this new place like a, a wholeness center or sanctuary, a place where people can come and get pastoral care, counseling. They can get debt counseling. We can help them uh, with their marriages. We can help them with addiction. We can help them with things that are going on in their life, maybe caring for the elderly, partnering with people who are already doing stuff and getting behind stuff as well, but bringing transformation with people who are already doing it, partnering with it. Again, please pray for us as we do that. We'd love to see God do some amazing things. We believe that God is transforming every age and stage of life. Baby and toddlers, the children that come to it, Rachel and the team doing an amazing job here every Thursday as God brings about transformation through conversations and families that's happening uh, from the community. I met with John uh, Gillen from a Fairmill Youth Project just this week. I had a coffee and he was telling me the amazing transformation that's slowly going on with the young people, the teenagers there. The amazing work that um, Jane Hurst and some of the, the staff are doing there. Just getting involved in, getting alongside, bringing transformation to the young people. They're doing a youth alpha. Nate's been doing a youth alpha with them. It's brilliant. It's amazing. But I think for me, is with all of this talk on transformation and with this passage, I have to ask myself, do I, like the lady, the woman in the story, am I brave, am I courageous? Do I go to the point where I say, I'm going to position myself to be at the feet of Jesus. And if we talk about transformation, is transformation happening in my life? Am I willing 
to allow God to remake me and to continue to create me. Many ways we are still being made, aren't we, and created. And say, God, you can do whatever you want in my life, in my heart. Maybe it's about me putting myself in the picture, putting myself in that frame, saying, God, come and do it in my life. But also do the same in others, other people's lives as well. I met recently uh, with Mark Rintel. Uh, some of you remember Mark Rintel was uh, interviewed um, in a, a talk that Libby did. Uh, it, was on, it was caught on camera. He was talking about his journey with freedom in Christ and some of the transformation that's still happening and goes on in his life. Mark Rintel spoke about the journey that he's on, the transformation that is happening, which is just incredible and so inspiring. Now, some of you know that uh, my office is a bit of a building site at the moment. We had a leak, and I've pulled the carpets off and the wallpaper off and so on. But I'm using it as an opportunity to have it as an inspirational place for transformation. Everything in the office is going to be reclaimed, recycled, upcycled, restored, loved upon. I had Mark come into the office recently and, and he just shared stories about transformation in our lives as he stripped away some of the wallpaper. And I wrote names and things all over the walls, things like forgiveness, things like um, negative words, things like shame, all the things that we sometimes experience in life and together we began to strip away at it. We begin to remove these things. And not just Mark, we did that as kind of friends, which was great as we talked together. But I've also been doing it with some of the guests from our Saturday meal, midweek, inviting them to come in and saying, hey, tell me your story. What's your story? What would you like God to remove in your life, to strip away at some of the things that you just aren't helpful in your life? And then I've been praying with them. It's been an incredible thing. David Bunyan uh, talks about this, and I think this is inspiring as we think about inviting Jesus into our life, coming to the feet of Jesus, and like the woman in our story, just pouring out our praise and allowing him to transform us. There's a little video now of David speaking. If it works. comes into our life, your life, it's a bit like a strong sun coming through the window and it shows up all the things that need changed, the things that we haven't noticed. And Jesus doesn't just leave us to do it ourselves or invite the decorating disciple in to help us. He comes in, rolls up his sleeves and helps us to make things right, to make things better, to improve our lives. And he does it with us, which is the amazing thing about him. He doesn't leave us. He's with us until the project is finished. And one day, Paul's office will be finished. And a lot of people will look forward to that, I think. It will be. It's a work in progress. But I love that. And I just want to leave with this question. Are we willing to allow Jesus to come in, to shine his light into our hearts and every room of our heart? to maybe highlight some of the things that maybe he wants to transform, strip away at, remove something that he might need to just pour his love into. If we want to see transformation in our families, in our workplaces, in our homes, in our church, in Edinburgh and beyond, it has to begin with us. It has to start with our heart. I'm committed to, I've been through grief counseling, I've been spiritual director, I'm constantly in a place where there's a friend of mine, I just pour out everything, he knows everything about me, I confess all my sins to him. 
constantly putting ourselves in a position where we say, God, transform me. Transform me from the inside out. Bring transformation into our lives so that we have hope and inspiration to see our world transformed as well. Maybe.